I'm Marco Werman, and this is The World, a co-production of the BBC World Service, PRI, and WGBH Boston. The Arab Awakening, it began in Tunisia. A fruit seller protesting the government set himself ablaze. Within weeks, the president was out of power. A different narrative in Syria. It's been two years since the anti-government uprising began there. The president is still in power, and the country is now engulfed in a civil war that's claimed 70,000 lives and turned more than a million Syrians into refugees. But numbers paint only part of the picture. Rania Abu Zaid is Midi's correspondent for Time magazine. She describes some of the most poignant moments she's witnessed over the past two years covering Syria in a blog post for The New Yorker. This is how she recounts one scene in northern Idlib, the rebels there decided they wanted to take out a checkpoint that was ringing their town. It was a government checkpoint. And the government retaliated quite uh, fiercely. And I was in the hospital, and it, it was pandemonium. The electricity kept cutting out. There were women running around, trying to uh, knocking on every door, turning to every man with a gun, asking them about their sons. There were children that were being brought in. They didn't have anesthetic. Uh, they were running low on many things, including medical personnel. It was chaos. And your description of a place where there is nobody, one deserted, partially destroyed home in a town where there are no civilians is very moving. Put us there. What did you see there? Well, sadly, that's very common, actually. Uh, the town that I was referring to looks like many towns in uh, in northern Syria. It's it's destroyed and largely devoid of civilians. And it's a very strange feeling to sort of walk through a town where you can see signs of life everywhere. You can see, you know, tea bags and you can see uh, cutlery. You'll see things that are in their place, like porcelain can sometimes survive things that concrete does not. Mm. You will find, you know, teapots that are that are just laying on their side next to uh, a wall that's collapsed, and yet the teapot is fine. And yet all of these people who once lived here are, uh, are somewhere else, either internally displaced or they've become refugees. These scenes that you describe are effective at, at making us feel the pain. Do you think these descriptions can do anything to, to change the situation on the ground? Well, I don't know. You know, all I can do is describe them. All I can do is report. And then what happens after that is, is you know, beyond me. Uh, initially, when I first started covering it and first started going into Syria, people w- were keen to tell their stories. They wanted to, to tell the world what was going on. And I've, I've noticed a hardening and a, a bitterness that has developed over these past two years. Initially, people thought that the world didn't know what was going on. And then gradually they started to, to realize that, no, the world knows what's going on. And this, uh, this notion that, uh, you know, this feeling of abandonment, there's a feeling that the world now knows what is going on in Syria, and yet it doesn't care. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of people who, who often tell me, why should I talk to you? Why should I tell you what I'm feeling or my story? What difference does it make? Yeah. When you look back on these two years, Rania, what are some of the faces you see? Hmm. So many faces, uh, some, uh, some of them of people who uh, I know who are no longer here. And uh, there are some faces that I can't forget. I remember I was, in, uh, I was one of the first journalists to cross into northern Syria over a mountain last summer as uh, the first refugees started coming in from the, uh, from the northern city of Jisr al-Shagur, and they came in their thousands. And I spent a night in an orchard with these thousands of uh, refugees. And it just so happened that it rained that evening and it was quite a downpour. Mm. Many, many people just, you know, spent the night out in these muddy fields. 
And the next morning there was a, an old woman, very old woman, and she looked at me and I was getting ready to cross back into uh, Turkey illegally and with, with a group of young men. And she was standing there too saying that she wanted to cross. And I said, listen, grandmother, you can't cross. It's very difficult to cross. She looked at me, she held my hands and she said, my daughter, can you just get me something to, to wear? My clothes are wet or, or just a piece of plastic to put over my head. Can you just get me something to change my clothes? And she was soaked through. Mm. And uh, that she's, that's just one of the faces that, uh, that uh, I've encountered in these past two years. Mm. Well, we'll link to your New Yorker blog post, Rania, at theworld.org. Rania Abuzaid covers Syria for Time magazine. Thank you. Thank you.